listening to Bleeding Page Podcast. Join authors Chad Lutsky and Jason Brandt as they delve into writing and publishing the dark side of fiction. Welcome back to Bleeding Page Podcast. I'm Jason Brandt, joined by Chad Lutsky. Hello. And today we are interviewing Tyler Jones. We had a pretty interesting conversation with him. And yes. talking to him, I had no idea how new he is to publishing. I, neither did I. I thought that, that he had a, a maybe a few more years. But yeah, he is new. But you wouldn't... Uh, his stuff reads well. I read three of the four releases that he has out. And uh, they're good. I, I recommend uh, all of them. And yeah, very new, but good. Uh, he's no dummy. Uh, he's, he, and he gives some cool, some of his own cool advice and insights, including some advice from Chuck Polinick, who he knows through working with him through uh, workshops and whatnot. He's written a popular thing or two, I think, right, <laughs> Chuck? Yeah. Maybe heard of one of his books, maybe. <laughs> You're being but, facetious, right? Yes, of okay. course. <laughs> God, yes. <laughs> Before we jump into the interview, do you have anything you want to share? Um, yeah, briefly. Um, uh, several of us have uh, authors who were with a publisher who recently went under, needed to find some new homes. And I had a, um, uh, don't know what's happening with, with uh, the book that I did have over there, but I had an upcoming release um, that was a collection, a short story collection. And I found a home for that. Um, as a matter of fact, uh, not only did I already sign a contract um i uh they're giving me an august release date which i thought was pretty generous considering uh, they have a lineup and that's not too far away uh you know really so i was really pleased about that and then which is probably around the same time frame that the book would have came out to begin with and then uh, they okay. we started talking covers and um I uh, was excited to see what kind of artists they were working with but then they also said well we love your covers so do you want to, you know, do it? And I said, well, let me, let me see what I can come up with. And so I made four covers and, uh, I love, I love all of them. Um, and then, uh, I ended up selling one when I showed it to somebody. Um, they're like, I have to have this. So I, I sold that and I knew I wasn't going to use it anyway. And then, um, I, I settled on one that I'm really happy with. So I'm, I'm, yeah, in August, the collection will be called Spinal Remains and it's coming out through Cemetery Gates Media. And then oh, I saw an nice. uh, early sketch for the cover of my Splatter Western coming out through Death's Head Press. I think the release date is set for June. Um, I'm not sure, uh, but I think so. And the the uh, the cover artist claims that they will be done this weekend. So I'm, their artwork is amazing. Um, uh, I haven't seen their work. I don't know that I've seen their work on any other books. Um, at least within our circles. I could be wrong, but they, they're great at what they do. I'm excited about seeing that cover, and the book will be called How the Skin Sheds. Um, yeah, that's all. Just those uh, book announcements that I just wanted to talk about. All right, well, I have no news because I haven't written anything. Uh, so <laughs> maybe next time. <laughs> you're going to have to go, when you start writing again, you're going to have to go back and listen to all these podcasts in and, you know, refresh uh, all the great advice that's given in each episode. Seriously, I feel like it's already starting to 
disappear in my mind. So I'm going to have to definitely listen again. You're being pulled away by the, by the stark side. The, so bad it's good. I do like the money though. So I'm not going to yeah. complain about that. <laughs> I would have, I, I would I'll bet. But yeah. So here's our Tyler Jones interview and I hope you like it. I think it was pretty solid. It's uh, in- always interesting when you see someone who's just kind of coming onto the scene and yeah, everything they're experiencing. And Tyler's a great guy too. Yeah. Seems really nice. I'm glad he didn't wear the same uh, outfit you are. Cause that added <laughs> some nice comedy when he first joined. <laughs> With that, here's Tyler Jones. Get a lot written today. Yes. Tyler Jones, dude, thanks for hanging out with us tonight on Leading Page. Um, We were just talking about how I'm overdressed because I anticipated you being overdressed because you are always so sharply dressed. So if anyone's wondering why I have this very uncomfortable half a monkey suit on, then this is why. It's Tyler's fault. It's a a tribute. It is a tribute. It's like that that Tenacious D song. This isn't the greatest song. This is not the greatest... So this is suit isn't as good as your suit. It's just a tribute. Yeah. <laughs> well, I appreciate it, man. Yeah. I was uh I was expecting to dress up, but you know, long day, rushed home, threw on a the cleanest sweatshirt I had. So No worries, man. And we no got worries. a child's play shirt. Yeah. So I just I'm feeling like the most underdressed out of the bunch. I, I have to say I never thought I would see you in a suit, Chad. I don't it never even occurred to me that you would own one for some reason. No, really. Yeah, no, I've got some nice clothes. I've got a lot of my I, my closet is full of seventies like polyester stuff. I, I'm a yeah. big fan of retro seventies ugly shirts too. See, that doesn't surprise me. Suit yeah. surprises me. <laughs> the seventies shirts with the the big collars. Oh, of course, yeah. And yeah. I will often wear a t shirt over that so that the collar is just poking out. Yeah. yeah. Why not? As a matter of fact, my latest uh, author photo I think is. Is like that. I'm wearing some god awful hideous um, uh, polyester thing, and with a huge collar sticking out from my t-shirt. Is this on Amazon? I need to see. Uh, that. I think so. Yeah, or my website, whatever. Google. I'm gonna try to pull that up right now. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it doesn't yeah. look like it, or at least I can't see it. I'll, I'll have to Google that later. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so anyway. Right away, let's get it. I got some questions for you. I wanted to ask you about. Um, yeah. Now, you are, you've only been writing or or at least publishing for what, like three years now? As far as yeah. books? Yeah, yeah. First book uh, was Criterium, and that came out in August of 2020. Okay. All right. Oh, wow. Okay. Not even two years. Yeah. No, I decided to publish that one uh, because I had a novel doing the, doing the rounds with agents, I started sending out query letters. And when I, I, I've done it before, when I sent out query letters, I, I just, I sent out like 200 of them, like mm-hmm. every agent that I can find. And, uh, I started doing that in February of 2020, which was not a good time to be sending out <laughs> letters to agents, yeah. uh, especially, especially in New York city, you know? Uh, so everything was just in chaos at that point, And I just, I got, I got antsy to publish. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, so, so I, I put together Criterium and that came out in August of 2020. And then two months later, I put out uh, The Dark Side of the Room. Nice. So, <clears throat> excuse me, that's interesting because 
I know that now the criterion that's available now is it the same? Is it the same one that you published in August of two thousand twenty? Or did you the, go in there and be like, "Oh, I'm a better writer now. I got to fix some things up." Yeah. So what you're uh, referencing is the extended edition, which okay. I put out in October of last year. And so the extended ed- edition is uh, it includes a an introduction by Jeremy Robert Johnson and then a uh, connected novella called Enter Softly. Okay. So the original Criterion novella is intact. I didn't touch that one at all. Okay. Um, yeah. So, uh, yeah, I find it interesting because I, I know that some people, they get, um, and I kind of did the same. I didn't do any, I have never queried an agent ever. Um, I, I plan no to at some point. Yeah. One of the reasons why I haven't is because I know they're looking for at least something that's at least 70,000 words. Yeah. And uh, that's a real chore for me. I just, for whatever reason, my, uh, you know, the way I write, the ideas I have, they just don't constitute for a, a long novel or you know so it's i'm I'm usually around the 25 to 35 uh, yeah sure but um when i the first thing i put out was well first book i put out was foster homes and flies but the first thing that i you know hit publish on on amazon was a short story collection which included like four or three stories that i had written in the 90s that you know, of course, that I cleaned up and and made different or whatever. But uh, as years went by, I looked back on it and it was like it's a collection that's still available, but it's not one that I advertise mm-hmm. ever, ever, uh, just because I feel like there's filler in it. I mean, it's got yeah. good ratings, but uh, for me, things have changed so differently. So I, I did go back later, like two, three years later, and I did like a, a revise and expanded. Mm-hmm. So I went through. All every story, and I made it like Lutsky 2.0, and you know, with with better, a little bit better prose. I didn't really change the stories or anything, and then I kept those in there, and I added like three or four more. But I I do see the uh, reason why I bring that up is because um, sometimes uh, when people get anxious and they want to pull the trigger, they put a crap out. And yeah. I've read Criterium, and it's not crap, and I and I really enjoyed it, and I. I have read stuff where people are like, um, yeah, they're just like, I, I, I'm impatient. I want to put this book out. Mm. And that's usually um, a good sign that it's probably not very good, at least from my experience, what I've seen and what I've heard other people admit to, you know, yeah. as years go by and they write more and then look back and they're like, yeah, this would have been rejected anyway. So, yeah. So, first of all, what you just said is going to go on Criterium 3.0, by the way. Chad Lutsky quote, this is not crap. This is not crap. <laughs> I'm using that for okay. sure. It's a great right. blurb. Great, great. So, is Darkroom Press, is that your, kind of like your, um, your self-pubbing brand? Yeah, yeah. Okay. The <laughs> To be honest, 100% honesty on Bleeding Page, the... The spines of self-published books look a little uh, bare to me because of the lack of a, a publishing label mm-hmm. or a logo. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's really where it came from. It was just seeing all this bare sp- space that could be used for something artistic. And uh, yeah, I just I just like the way that it branded the books. Right. Like okay, yeah. Is, and, and it was inspired, if I'm... You know, being totally honest, I was inspired by Adam Caesar and his 
uh, black t-shirt books that he did with, um, I believe it's Matt Serafini, Patrick Lacey and Scott Cole. Mm-hmm. So it was like something that this collective where they put out books under this umbrella. And uh, I did that with the thought of if at some point in the future, there's somebody who's uncertain, like a friend who's uncertain about self-publishing and there's somebody I'm talking with right now. I don't want to name any names. It's not like a huge secret, but just if, if he decides to self-publish at some point and there's that nervousness about doing it. I told him, look, man, we can, we can brand it under this, kind of make this a similar thing to Black T-Shirt, this collective mm-hmm. where you, you don't feel as alone in the process and I can connect you with people that I work with on cover, interior art. Like Scott Cole actually does all my interior stuff okay. for the books that I put out and puts together the cover and the whole book design. So it was putting a stake in the ground saying I may use this more at some point, but for now it's just a way to brand what I'm putting out. Right. Yeah. And a lot of people do that. I do that with mine is just called Mm -hmm. static age books. I don't have a, like a logo, Yeah. but on the back of the book, it says, you know, I have like a, um, a font and and everything that with static letters and stuff in the misfits font, obviously static age, but the, um, a lot of authors do it. And I don't think anybody does it to like, manipulate anybody or like it's some kind of secret it's just like you know like i didn't build a website and trying to make it look like it's some there's no website for it if you ask me yeah man i just that's me that's just my right right but i throw it on there just because because some people take issue with oh this is self-published yeah no thanks yeah you know so yeah jason do you do the same thing do you have your own like kind of like brand i don't but i've thought about doing it multiple times and i just either forget or I'm too lazy. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, I usually just leave that field blank. Yeah. yeah but I do have know, branding on my spines. Um, mm. I, fr- mm. I take my name on the front has a black bar with kind of white lines uh, above and below it that wraps around the covers. So anytime you see one of my books on a shelf, you know exactly that, it, you know that it's my book right away. So I, right. I don't have a logo or a, a brand kind of thing, but all my book covers have that design. Yeah. This That's the, cool. yeah, this brand. So similar, yeah. Uh, you know, I wanted I think, to ask. Oh yeah, Sorry, go ahead, go. Jason. No, no, no. Go ahead. I was just going to say, I, I part of it, Chad. We've discussed Tooth and Nail Records. Mm-hmm. In the past, and if you go if you go back to their genesis, and that's this is true of not just Tooth and Nail, but a lot of independent record labels. You just had some some guy or guys, gals, typically in college, wanting to put out music, and for a lot of them in interviews that I've read, it started with this idea of a name and then a logo. Mm -hmm. And then what did they do? Like all they did was put out music that had been recorded elsewhere by other producers, by other artists. And you just slap your logo and name on it. And it lends it some legitimacy that it wouldn't otherwise have. Like what's the difference between a demo tape and a debut record back in the day? Yeah. Often it was a logo (laughs) on the CD. That was it. Mm-hmm. And so I think that there, like you said, not, not to mislead people, but simply understanding that there is some value in stamping something with a logo or a brand like that, that seems, seems to represent more. Yeah. And maybe it will, maybe it does. Yeah. Yeah. I certainly don't feel guilty of it in, in probably yeah. because there are some people that are, uh, I just saw in, uh, in, a. A group on Facebook. Uh, uh, somebody was asking for recommendations, and they said, "No self-published horror, please." Hmm. And people are like, 
what's what's your problem with <laughs> self-published horror and and so yeah i mean i part i partly can't blame um you know not not all of it there's some great stuff out there and a lot of it is better than than what we have with the big five but there's also a ton of garbage out there too for any yeah. genre of, yeah. of self-publishing it's like a i don't know it's good and bad you know, which seems like a controversial thing to say for some reason. Like I, and I understand it. There are those who, like anything, there's a spectrum and there's a pendulum. So you've got those who are self-publishing apologists mm-hmm. and want self-publishing to be seen as legitimate. Like no, there's good stuff. There are people creating art that's as good, like you said, as anything being put out by a big five publisher. Mm-hmm. And then there are those who say, no, it's all crap because mm-hmm. if they were any good, they'd get published. Yeah. And I think the truth is somewhere in the middle, but it's a, it's, it seems to be a fight or at least somewhat controversial as far, far as I've seen that people are saying, no, it's all, it's all as good as big five stuff. And it's like, no, there's Maybe you haven't been burned by a book that you thought would be good and you read it and it was riddled with typos. I mean, the dark side of the room, like the first edition of that, I'm embarrassed by the the number of typos in that. Mm-hmm. So you asked about Criterium, did I go back and fix anything? That one was clean. The dark side of the room, I, I mean, Criterium came out in August and I released the dark side of the room in October. So not a lot of time elapsed between the mm-hmm. two and I just felt, like I wanted to get it out in time for Halloween. So there was a bit of a rush and I didn't go over it as well as I should. I didn't have a proofreader go over it like I did on Criterium. Mm-hmm. So that one I fixed up and now I look back and I'm like, oh my gosh, that thing actually made its way out into the world yeah. with all those typos. Like, ah, <laughs> which is a huge part of the reason why I reissued both of those is to get a chance to put a cleaner version of that out in the world that didn't have those errors. So I get it. I totally get like how somebody might read it and think like, this isn't as professional as what I'm used to reading. Mm-hmm. And maybe that, that puts the pressure on us as self published writers to, to be as professional as we can in, in the work that we put out so right. that it stands alongside it's, I think it's when people rush, you know, when, yeah. and, and, and bad beta reading and editing. Like if you get your friends who always agree and think everything you write is really good to read your yeah. stuff. And then they're, they're just like clapping, applauding. Yes, this is great. Put it out without a critical voice saying, could this be better? Mm-hmm. If you put out something without someone telling you that it needs to be better, then it probably shouldn't be released. Yeah. Is yeah my I, I agree. I, I totally agree. Okay. Jason, did you want to say something? Uh, well, yeah. just piggybacking off that. I had a question from earlier, but I think, Writing is like anything else in life, you know, crap in, crap out. If you're just mm. shoveling shit onto Amazon, it's not going to do well and you're going to get poor reviews and people are going to trash it because it's self-published or not or whatever. I don't, I don't think it matters. That whole argument about self-publishing versus, uh, it was big six when I started writing now, what is it, <laughs> four, big four? I don't even pay attention to the publishing world. So, yeah. uh, that argument is so freaking old. If you put good work out, people will like it. People will find it. People, well, they might not find it, but yeah. <laughs> they will like right. it if they do find it. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, I, it's just like anything else in life. Take some pride in your work, do a good job. Mm. And you know, it, it success will come. But yeah. um, I wanted to ask, you said you released your first book in August, 2020. Yeah. And then when was the second one? October. 
did you already have the second one written or did you produce it in that short amount of time? That's quick. <laughs> yeah. So Criterium, uh, Criterium was, was finished a couple months before it came out. Um, the final version that ended up being published, but I didn't actually start writing the dark side of the room until Criterium came out. So I started that in September and I, I, I wrote it during the month of September and then put together wow. the cover art and yeah, I had some beta readers. Like it was, it was quick. It came down to the wire and I gave it away for free on Halloween. Like that, it was meant to be a fun thing. Like no, no prior announcements, just, Hey, here's a Halloween gift. I thought it'd be a fun Halloween story. How many words but, is it? I think it's almost cl- close to 30. Okay. Yeah. It's edging on 30. That's a quick turnaround for a second book, no less. Yeah. Yeah. And it's funny though, you know, a lot of the ways I think of writing comes from music. So, okay. I'm a, I like all kinds of music. Rock and roll is, is where my heart is particularly British rock and roll, but I have a uh, pretty strong love for Bob Dylan and Bob Dylan obviously is prolific. He's put out a ton of albums. and, And if you don't like one Dylan album, maybe you'll like the other one. But there are major Dylan albums and then there are minor Dylan albums. And I love the minor ones, you know, the ones that don't make the best of lists and things like that, the ones nobody talks about. Same with Stephen King books. And I only mention Stephen King because he has such a large, you know, bibliography, a, a body of work. But those minor works, minor uh, in there, are the ones I tend to love a lot. And to me, I see the dark side of the room as kind of a minor work. And mm-hmm. I, I think it has its audience. I think it has its place, but it's not something that I would ever like. It's not one I'm recommending to people. Like if they ask where, where should I start with your stuff? I don't say start with the dark side of the room. You know, it's funny because that's how I view self-publishing in general. Um, there's so much interesting stuff there that people don't know about because it's not in bookstores and you know, it's not in Walmart mm-hmm. or Barnes and Noble, but Authors can take chances yeah, on yeah. a lot of stuff that, uh, you know, an editor wouldn't touch at right. all because they know there's, there's a ceiling for the, the sales. So that's good self-published stuff. Some of the weirdest, wildest shit I've read has come just buying a $3 book on Amazon because there's no chance in hell anybody would have published <laughs> that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, they're, they're works of passion. You can see that. You can yeah, see absolutely. that this, this is something that, uh, the writer had to create and had to put out for whatever reason, knowing, knowing that if they liked it, there's gotta be an audience and it may not be a big audience, but they're there. Yeah. There's no formula behind it. Yeah. They're not trying to hit a word count. They're not trying to, you know, have X amount of characters and maybe even necessarily work in a three act structure or whatever. You know, some, some people just put this out in a month. Like, like you did yeah. I, my best selling novel. I wrote in less than 30 days. Wow. Um, you know, but yeah, I can't do that often, but uh, if I could, I'd have a lot of money. <laughs> but yeah, so I, I just find that interesting, just like you said. That um, yeah, and you know, with self-publishing, like you, like you're saying, with your with your best-selling book written in 30 days. I, okay, let me ask you this: How long did it take between the time that you finished writing it and having people read it, edit it, until you released it? Oh God, it's been a couple of years now, but it was super fast. I yeah. wrote it and second drafted it. And th- I think I did the second draft in three days, maybe. Okay. And then straight to my editor, I had a proofreader or two. The cover was being made at the same time and it was out. 
I mean, I did it really quickly. The whole thing, I think, was less than two months. Nice. If I had to guess. Okay, so, so this this kind of goes to my point then that what self publishing does, like when we're sitting here talking about it, what we're doing is somewhat pulling back the curtain on the process, which has been shrouded in mystery and <laughs> mysticism for so long. Because prior to self publishing, it was all a mysterious process. You know, you never saw the writers. They didn't. There was no social media. All you knew is that this guy was holed up in an office or a cave <laughs> or a mountaintop somewhere creating something that would someday come out. And you never knew how long that process was from uh, word number one on page one to finish product in the bookstore. And so right. what we're seeing now is if you've, if you've finished a work and it's good and you're happy with it, you can put it out like that. And that gives someone that gives some a target like, Oh, well you did it fast. Well, how, right. you know, you don't know how long it took Josh, Josh Mallerman to write Mallory. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you know? exactly. So, but like once, once you know how long the process took, then it can be criticized when in reality, I think a lot of books published by the big five probably were written in the same, same time frame. It just took them longer to come out. Yeah. It doesn't, it doesn't mean that the process was different necessarily. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And that's why, yeah, a lot of, I, a lot of people that bad mouth self-publishing, they've either had a bad experience with, with a book or they don't uh know anything about it like i've seen so many people having conversations um and i'm like do you guys uh, you know bad mouthing self publishing or that it would never do that and stuff or um and i don't think that they realize that if you're willing to um like self publishers are making a lot more money than most traditionally published authors mm -hmm. um maybe not in horror but in <laughs> other genres I think I think particularly in horror. I mean, how many how many horror novels do you know that are making a killing through the big big publishers? I mean, well, not they, a lot. yeah, okay, they might be making, with the exception of like maybe you know the Tremblays and the Stephen Graham Jones and the mm. the Mallermans, obviously. But I think that if you're average person, whereas if you on <clears throat> on Amazon, you've got a lot of science sci-fi and mm. the space opera and the fantasy. Um, obviously romance is huge. Yeah. Um, even erotica, which most, that's where I make most of my money. <laughs> even, or, Hey, I'm not against it, man. I'll do that. <laughs> uh, even erotica, which seems like, I mean, how many times can you read the same? I mean, wouldn't that get kind of boring, but yet there's so much of it out there and there's so many people that write mm -hmm. that. It's like, people like what they like. It's like zombie novels. <laughs> yeah, that's true. This, the zombies <laughs> subgenre. That's all some of those people read. Yeah, uh, you know, new zombie novel every week. It's crazy. I'm curious about uh, once Walking Dead dies, if it ever does, uh, like like fully. I mean, Still I know on. they have a spinoff, but if people, if zombie fiction is gonna go up because people are going to try to fill that void now that that, that they have from The Walking Dead, you'll have mm. to tell us, Jason, what happens to your your series. Your uh, I don't know. I, I've never fully broke into the zombie subgenre because my book is half. Yeah, it's like a hybrid of yeah. Yeah, so a lot of those guys that are hardcore, are like nah, nah, stick their, you know, put their nose up. That's <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, I, I wanted to ask you: Are you hybrid? I feel like Chad told me you were. Are you a hybrid publisher? Like, have yeah. you sold anything? He's good. Yeah, well, as of. Yeah. 
yeah, funny story. <laughs> as of as of last month, yes. So, well, you, depends you, on how you, you, there was not an announcement that you can't talk about. See, I thought you had. Is it almost Ruth or was it Burn the Plans? One of those is through a small press, right? Yeah. So, Burn the Plans is through Cemetery Gates. Right. Okay. Yes. So, Chad and I are Cemetery Gates family now. Yeah. Congrats on that, by the way. That's Thank very you. cool. Thanks. You uh, didn't spill the beans on any announcement you had. I just thought uh, you'd been with some small presses or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're, you're right. So, yes, Burn the Plans, uh, my short story collection came out through Cemetery Gates. And then... Um, a couple of things happened simultaneously where, so the, the novel that I had been sending to agents in early 2020 um, found its way to um, Elizabeth Copps, who uh, represents Andy Davidson and Philip Fracassi, among others. And she now represents me. So she, she read the novel I sent, loved it. And uh, she now we were, we're now working together. And, uh, Paul Miller at Earthling um, bought the rights to this novel. It's called Midas to release in uh, 2023 Halloween, 2023 as a special deluxe limited edition, which is really cool. Really exciting. Yeah. Um, But with that, it doesn't prevent us from sending out that book to New York publishers as well, which is the plan. Uh, We're going to start doing that probably this summer. So I'm going to go through it again, work on editing it some more. Um, got some feedback from Paul and Elizabeth and some other readers. And so then we'll, we'll begin sending that out this year while simultaneously prepping it for release with earthling next year. That's great, man. I'm, I'm happy to, yeah. Limited things. Um, they're so cool when they happen. Cause you oh, know, you, yeah. I mean, if anything, just to have this beautiful thing on your, on your shelf that not many people have, you know, that's, and, then, and I'm a I'm a big book collector too, so I have a lot of limited editions, and I've been collecting Earthling books for years. In fact, it was this cool, really full circle moment for me. Um, so the f- very first Earthling book that I ever bought was um, Everything You Need, which is a collection of short stories by Michael Marshall Smith. He was the first person who read Criterium and gave it a blurb, hmm. and then he wrote the introduction for Burn the Plans. And then he and Paul Miller are are good friends. And uh, yeah, just all like, just kind of universe stuff, you know, Mm -hmm. where it's just these, these full circle moments happen that just make you feel like, okay, I'm on the right path. Yeah. Whatever that means, whatever it looks like, whatever the future holds, I'm on the right path. And that's, it's, it's cool. It's really cool to, yeah. So in answer to your question, Jason, yeah. Hybrid, hybrid esque. So what Hybrid, is your hybridizing? <laughs> so what is your what is your you know decision making thought process now with now that you've got some books did did that kind of appease you and now you're okay with you you know going through like small press or are you going to continue to be hybrid or That's a great question. So it's kind of this is kind of a weird thing to say and I and I hope it it makes sense and and comes out the way that I want it to. So as you guys both know, you write something. I think this is true for most most writers. When you write something, you don't really have a clear view of what it is. You know what you set out to do. You know the story that you set out to tell. But what it is exactly is somewhat unclear. So this book, Midas, 
that I started sending out to agents, I told myself, this book, it means a lot to me. It's a big, dark, crazy horror novel. And I told myself, I am not going to self-publish this. I'm not going to give it to a small press. Not until I have been turned down by every single agent. Mm-hmm. And if that happens, okay, then I will accept this. This isn't the book for an agent and I'll try and put it out through a small press that way. Thankfully, an agent saw something in it. You know, after this is no joke. I'm not saying this to, to like this. It's not hyperbole. You know, after dozens and dozens and dozens of rejections and rejections have never bothered me. I, it's not the first time I've queried an agent. So, I mean, over the course of the last seven years, I've been rejected hundreds of times. It doesn't bother me in the slightest because I'm not looking for the person who doesn't want the book. I'm looking for the person who connects with it. And that's what I found in Elizabeth. Okay. So great. Got, got an agent who sees sees in the book something worthwhile. That doesn't mean that any big press is going to want it. So that's, that's step number two. And that's the goal for me for this book was to swing as big as I can. And it really meant a lot to me, both, both Paul Miller at Earthling and Elizabeth talked about, like, they think this is a, a bigger book, meaning it might have a shot. That's not for me to decide. We'll see. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we're, we're going to try there first. And in my mind, in answer to your question, I've always seen, um, I've always thought whatever I do in the future would be a, a hybrid model. Like I think, um, Daniel Krauss and Josh Mallerman might be both good examples of that. Like, you know, Daniel Krauss has a new novel coming out called, um, the ghost who ate us, I believe it's called. And that coming out yeah. through Rod Dog Screaming Press, but he also publishes novels with, you know, the big five. So I think knowing, um, having the freedom to write books that that I know wouldn't probably wouldn't be a good fit for a big publisher, mm-hmm. and having the freedom to to shop those to to smaller presses. That's that's where my heart is. I'd love to do a hybrid. For sure. I'd love to continue, but that may not even be in the cards. And so like, I'm just, man, if I can just write books and have them land with somebody, a press, whether that's big or small, who uh, genuinely cares about the book and wants to see it have a good life. Mm -hmm. That's, man, that's all I've ever wanted. So I try to dream realistic, but also big at the same time. Yeah, But it's not like I wouldn't see if let's say, for example, that Midas, nobody in New York wants it. I wouldn't see it as like a disappointment if um, a smaller press wanted to pick it up. I'd, I'd be thrilled. Mm-hmm. Sure. No, I, I should say I'm always blathering on about the virtues of self-publishing um, just because I feel like it's an easier way for people to be full time authors with their mm-hmm. income. But to have the big home run success, the bird box, the Stephen King, yeah. that's really at this point almost entirely through a publisher. Right. It can be done. Like you you can do the Hugh Howie wool thing, but that is exceedingly rare. But yeah, I for guess sure. it was hitting the home run through the big publisher. But yeah, the big exposure is definitely still through New York. Yeah. yeah. I would never deny that. Yeah. Was I it, think I'm just usually trying to talk to people 
say you can mm -hmm. make $10,000 a month self-publishing, you know, if right. you really figure the system out, that can be done easier than it can making $10,000 a month through a, a big publisher. Yeah. Um, but if you want to hit that home run, man, it's good to have uh, the big guys on your, on your side. Yeah. I think it takes a certain kind of personality to re really, really figure out that self-publishing thing. It's a business. Yeah. Yeah. yeah Not just it is. It's and a it's business. a lot of hard work. I listen to, I listened to me. I can't even tell you how many different kinds of self-publishing podcasts and um, they're all doing uh, something different than what I'm doing. Mm -hmm. Everything that they do, I'm not doing and not, not by choice. <laughs> I'm not trying to rebel. It's just that I don't have a series, you know, which is yeah. huge. I'm not writing, you know, fantasy. I'm not writing uh, crime thrillers or, you know, uh, sci-fi or something like that. But when I listen to these people, yeah, they're, they're working really hard and they're making um, six. Some are making seven figures yeah. a year. Yeah. Um, a friend of a friend of mine went from, yeah, writing horror and making, you know, a hundred bucks a month to what two almost $240,000 last year because wow. he stopped writing horror, started writing crime thrillers and writing them in a series and having mm -hmm. a couple mm -hmm. different series and yep. just, Everything he learned, he just learned from um, just what's available on like uh, Facebook pages, you know, 20 mm -hmm. books to 50K and stuff. And that when I hear testimonies like that, that's when I get really irritated when I hear people talk down about, um, you know, why are you doing this or, or that it doesn't work or mm -hmm. it's like, man, I've, I've seen it work firsthand with my, with, you know somebody whose books I used to edit the ho the horror ones. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, and the, the, I think the hard part is that for every story like that, there's a hundred others of people for sure. who sunk a ton of money into it. And for whatever reason, yeah, it didn't make it. It's one of those things where like, um, I'm trying to think of some businesses where, where you can, you can be successful at this thing. Like there's a lot of like little, I can't even think of some like, um, not like Ponzi schemes or, or pyramid schemes, but like businesses where you have people kind of working under you, mm -hmm. like herbal life or something like that. And then you right. see this person and they're just rich. It's, they, they really, really, really worked hard and they put in the hours and they learned every tiny little thing they can about this thing. Mm -hmm. And you can, you can, you know, sign up and, and, you know, look at them as some kind of example, but chances are you're not going to hit that that level that they're at. And a yeah. lot of it has to do with um, not necessarily luck, but just you, you're not putting in the time. I am definitely not putting in the time, you know, mm -hmm. I'm not rapid releasing series and putting out, you know, six books a, a, a year in, in different series in, in, um, in markets that are selling like crazy. I'm the stuff that I'm putting out. No one is, no one's looking for, <laughs> yeah. know, there's no demand which is, uh, it sucks because I like to be, I like to read stuff that's super original and I like to write stuff that no one's thought of yet mm -hmm. or, or at least attempt and um, people aren't looking for that. It's it's It boggles my mind how the masses want um, something familiar. Yeah. You know, they want another zombie series. They want another romance book. It's yeah. It boggles my mind. It's like, Okay, but you've read, you know, don't you want something a little bit? No, uh-uh. I want another Marvel movie. I don't want this 
Right. Hereditary, right. you know? Yeah. It's, yeah. It's weird to me. Yeah. I tend to think of every book that we put out for me anyway, every book as being uh, a brick in building something. So mm-hmm. like even, even thinking of success, like a, a breakout book, like bird box, for example, like I don't even, I can't even imagine that happening. Like that's, that's how realistic my expectations are. But mm-hmm. I think of every book is building something. In fact, the, the two, the two writers that I look at the most that have inspired me the most in terms of how I do what I do are Stephen Graham Jones and Jeremy Robert Johnson. So both of them built a name for themselves in small presses, really small presses, some that don't even exist anymore. Mm-hmm. And they they just put out work. Their Paid names their dues. got out. Yeah, people people read the stories. You became familiar with their names. Every release was a brick in something until a moment came. Mm-hmm. Like, and, and that's a weird way to put it. Did the moment come, or was it something that they like uh, the, something that they created by continuing to put out work? Mm-hmm. That by by the time this thing that we call a moment was actually something that they had built over time. And it, it seems like it appears suddenly, but it hasn't really. It's been built over time. Exactly. Yeah. You just described my whole business model. I, I call it building the foundation. Mm-hmm. Each book is, is part of the foundation. Most people, every time they're going home, they drive by a house and one day they're like, oh, you know, a house being built. One day they're like, oh, it's finished. It's like, <laughs> right, yeah, but right. that, took, that took nine months of you know, mm-hmm. 50 guys working on it. Yeah. And that's, I feel like that's almost every writer's career. You know, occasionally there's the, the home run out of nowhere that just, you know, be, turns you into a millionaire, but most of the time it's just yeah, putting the work in, putting the work in. Yeah. And eventually either you've built your brand where you have enough readers that will come in that each book does better and better. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, you take enough swings. I don't know why I'm, why I'm on baseball. I don't know, I don't know why <laughs> I'm on, I don't even watch baseball. <laughs> But, you know, you keep stepping up to the plate. I'll just keep going. <laughs> you, know, you swing enough, you're going to connect. Yeah. That's the yeah. way I see it. Um, you can't, if you only, if you, you know, only have three books out, the odds of you making a really good living from your writing, it's low. Right. But if you have 30 books out, yeah, you've got a good chance to make a, a, a sizable living. Yeah, Someone, if one of those books does, tends to do well or get some some more attention, then there are other books for those people to find. Yeah, and to your point, like I, if you do have one of those big lightning in a bottle successes, like over the last year, we've seen the success of uh, you know Eric LaRocca. Mm-hmm. God bless him. With um, things have gotten worse since we last spoke. Like you could you couldn't duplicate that if you tried. Mm-hmm. There's no, there's no model. There's no method. You couldn't make a, a video explaining exactly the steps to that, the success of that book. Yeah. That's just, who knows? That's just, that's, that's what happens and good for him. I, what a thrill to watch and couldn't happen to a, you know, kinder, most more wonderful person. It was crazy. Yeah. To see, um, that was a pretty small press and then to sell what 10,000 copies within like five or six weeks, I think. Yeah. Um, yeah. damn. That was, uh, yeah, I, I think when they shut it down, I think he had sold, you know, 20,000 some copies of that thing. And now and, it's going to come out again through Titan later this yeah. year. So, but that, I mean, that's a perfect example of how I'm sure there are people out there 
studying the success of that book and trying to 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 formulate how it can be duplicated and it can't mm-hmm. yeah. I, I truly believe that like you just what eric did was wrote a book that was honest and true to who he is and he believed in it weird punk books believed in it and the rest is the internet and people being drawn to it and it taking off like that's that's just electricity like <laughs> lightning it's, over this past week i've seen um I've seen people, and someone asked me this, sent me a message and asked me too. I've been seeing people talk about um, being concerned that of putting too many books out. And I don't, I've never thought, me, my mentality, and maybe it's because of all these podcasts I listen to and everybody's doing rapid release and they're like, got to put another book out, got to put another book. Because you got to kind of like stay relevant in the market. You got to keep the algorithms going. And it's the algorithm. Yeah. So, um, but so, but the horror, my circle, they don't do a lot of the stuff that, of what I learn on these podcasts and stuff. Uh, like things that Jason um, does are different than a, a lot of what uh, our circle is doing, um, which is weird to me because Jason makes more than more money than a lot of people that we hang with that are more popular in that. Mm-hmm. And it's so strange to me. Like my friend Dan Padovana, who made all that money. Um, I don't know if he's popular in other circles, but not so much popular yeah. in, in in ours anymore. And but the reason why I brought that all up was because uh, um, people have been yeah wondering, stressing, and saying, well, you know, how many books is too many, and do you think that you can oversaturate the market with releasing too many books? And I'm just like. My attitude was just, uh, no, I need that back catalog. You know, I don't, I'm not worried about it selling necessarily right now. It could um, sell a lot way down the road. My my friend Duncan Ralston put his book Womb out like maybe three years ago, and it has exploded this year. Yeah, somebody did a TikTok, and so now it's one of those books, kind of like um, Eric's book, where it's like, can I get through this? You know, like it's a challenge. Can I, is this too right. much? Why is everybody talking about this? Why do so many people hate it? Why do so many people love it? <laughs> yeah, you know, so yeah. it's, it's one of those. And then people, it's like the, the, the hot chip challenge on, on YouTube or something, you know, where it's like, I, I got to see what this is about. And then it just blows up. But, um, you know, it didn't make a whole lot when he, and now it's, yeah, it's, you can't look on Facebook or Twitter without seeing someone talking about womb. And, um, you know, so it, to, I'm to more worried point, about the yeah the back catalog. Yeah, to your point about putting books out too fast. So several years ago, or I think it was like 2019, maybe early 2020, I interviewed Stephen Graham Jones for for Dark Moon Digest, um, and we were, you know what? Maybe it wasn't the interview I did with him. Maybe I was listening to an interview. <laughs> ah, I can't even remember. Anyway, at some point in an interview with someone, Stephen Graham Jones said. Uh, was asked about his output because prior to uh, Mongrels, he had had a pretty prolific output, multiple books um, a year sometimes. Like he was just coming out with books constantly. If you look at the number of books that he's published in a short amount of time, it's it's pretty staggering. And someone asked him about like why his output had slowed down. And he said the output hadn't slowed down, but his agent had requested that he not publish quite as much. 
And the reason the logic behind that was you want the book to be an event. You want mm-hmm. people to look forward to it. You want it to have room to breathe and to be out there. And so I think that that way of thinking is probably connected to New York publishing. For sure. Is because and, it they makes, can, and it makes sense for them. It's, yeah, mm-hmm. right. Because then you want to look forward to the next Stephen Graham Jones book or Paul Tremblay. Same thing, probably a book a year. Um, but it's funny that even, even in uh, like big publishing, and again, this, I'm not like some insider. I know nothing about it. This is just from things I've read. Uh, I really, really like Dennis Lehane as a writer. I think he's, yeah, he's phenomenal. So I went to a reading here in Portland and someone asked him about his output and they were upset with him, not upset, but questioning why didn't he write as much as some of his uh, contemporaries, like say Lee Child or Michael Conley. And he took this in his Bostonian way, uh, took this swipe at those guys and said, He's like, I get asked this question all the time. Like, why, why don't you write books as fast as the other guys, you know, come out the book a year. And he's like, yeah, well, they write a book a year and you know what? It reads like it, like they didn't take any time with it. He's like, I like to take my time with the book and when it's ready, I'll put it out. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I, I think both methods, like it's, it's art, man. Yeah. If it takes... If it takes you two, three months to write a book and it's ready to go, awesome. And people, your readers enjoy it. If you're Dennis Lehane and it takes you a couple years, like. That's hilarious. Taking a swipe at Lee Child, that loser. Yeah, I know. (laughs) What's he know about writing books? I know. (laughs) But even then, like you imagine Dennis Lehane reading a Lee Child book and being like. Yeah. Yeah. You wrote wrote this quick. (laughs) One of the reasons why too is why I, I, I don't, I don't even consider slowing down. Um, if anything, I want more. You know, right. I would love to be able to put at least five books out every, you know, I don't want to put one out every month, but to have five books out, uh, I would love that, you know, from self-published stuff and through presses. But I think one of the reasons too why I'm, I'm, I push for that is I'm 52, man, and I've only been mm. doing this for eight years. And so I feel way behind. Mm. And I, I'm, I'm, I'm not a kid. And I feel like I've got a, a lot to do. And I just, I, I just want to get it out there, you know, yeah, and then with the hopes sure. that, yeah. Um, you know, and I've noticed too, that a lot of people who pick up one of my books, sometimes they'll just, because I don't know if it's because they're short, um, they'll just rip through all of them, hmm. you know, and they'll just buy them all. And mm-hmm. I want to find more, you know, readers like that. And then, you know, yeah, I mean, I, I like writing and I like having written something, but, Ultimately, I really I want to get paid too, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, for me, it's a it, it's it's not just an art. It's I'm you know, it's one of the ways that I make money. So I've got a I got to do you know, and I'm and I'm trying to think of retirement, and I would love to be able to have you know, forty books out by the time I'm I retire, and and there's just this trickle effect, and then maybe one of them is Bird Box, you know, and 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 yeah. Everybody reads that and then they grab the other 59. Which is, a, which is an excellent point, Chad, because in all that we're talking about, uh, Eric's book blowing up, a bird box blowing up, whatever it is, mm-hmm. the only books that blow up are those that are out there. Yeah. It can't blow up if That's it's not out. That's very true. And yeah. I think people want to, people want the big book 
early. And it's like, okay, but if you have that, where else is the reader going to go? If your first book or your second book blows up, mm-hmm. if your 20th book blows up, you're going to have a trickle down that lasts for an extremely long time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, you yeah. know, you know, one of the writers, to- one of the writers that really inspired me for a number of years, and I still love his work is a, a guy named Paul Oster. And he's not a horror writer. He's, um, he's unique. Um, He's, I guess, best known for a series of really short novels he wrote called the New York Trilogy. They're like very existential. He has a very European sensibility, even though he's from New York. And um, have you guys ever heard of him? Is that name Mm -hmm. familiar? No. Okay. So so he's a perfect example of that. So in New York literature, he's considered like fairly big name, but he's always flown just a little bit under the radar. And he's bigger in Europe, like France loves him. He's bigger in Europe than he is here, but he's always published with big publishers. And yet a lot of people have never heard of him. And I've, I adore all of his books and he's fairly prolific as well. And I, I I remember like 13, 14 years ago, looking at his career and thinking, I dig that. I like that. He's never had a book explode. But he's just consistently been putting out stuff and he sells really well in Italy, in France, Germany. I think probably more because of his European sensibilities. Scandinavian countries tend to love him. And I thought that's also, that's a really cool career as well. Like he's been able to write and put out books and he's got a, he's got a readership here and in Europe and elsewhere. Like, Mm -hmm. so there's, there's even, if you don't have that big blow up book, there's still all these versions of a career that can be built. Like you talking about the house. Let's, let's move on from baseball analogies to house analogies. I like oh, yeah, that. Like <laughs> <laughs> Where you can build something, you know, anything or hit a home run or catch a touchdown or what <laughs> sports ball, anything. Just, right. <laughs> you got to keep trying. Uh, before we get out of here, you wanted to ask a question about Chuck Polinak, didn't you? Yeah. Yeah. Very brief one. Um, I haven't read much Polinick, yeah, but I'm kind of obsessed with listening to him talk. Mm-hmm. Um, I haven't even read an entire book of his. No kidding. Read stories, but I've listened to and or watched just about any every interview you can find on YouTube. Um, love hearing his the way he. Nobody tells a story like a real life story like he does. Yeah. Um. So and and the stuff that he. I mean, I'm serious, man. Some of the stuff that I heard him telling other people's stories, things that happened to them or whatever. I've seen him on Rogan. I've seen him on, um, he told some whoppers on there that just were very disturbing and blew yeah. my mind. And I like his voice and, and him speaking more than I write, like his writing, but I do like his writing too. Mm-hmm. Um, that being said, um, I, and if those who don't know that you, you were in a workshop with, with Chuck and you, he mm-hmm. published one of your, uh, stories in in the anthology uh, Burnt Tongues that he edited. Um, I'm I don't think that we talked this bef- talked about this before, but I I'm wondering if there is something one of the most valuable things that you learned just from that experience. Learned from uh, Chuck. Gosh, there's a lot. Yeah, I'll bet <laughs> there's there's a lot. So I'm trying to think. Oddly enough, Chad. No joke. I was thinking about one of the very first things he ever told me, which was when I first joined the workshop and it was after 
I read the first piece of work that I brought in. So this would have been four, five years ago now. Um, boy, the sun came out of nowhere. Like in Portland, the, it's, are the cops outside your house <laughs> with the spotlight? Like, <laughs> it was uh, raining not long ago. Like this is Portland. It was snowing yesterday. And now the sun is shining in my eyes. I'm just going to deal with it. Just deal with me squinting. Um, <clears throat> so I'd known, I'd known Chuck peripherally for a few years. We both live in the same city. And uh, like you said, he'd published a story of mine. So I'd had some, some connection with him, but never really spent much time with him in person, especially in a workshop setting, mm -hmm. which is very different. So I brought in this piece of work. It was from a novel in progress. And I read it and got all this feedback from people. And then um, we took a break at the workshop and we were in this little space called the attic. And it's like a, um, it's on the east side of Portland. And there's this, uh, it's almost like an apartment, but it's like I got a chicken, uh, chicken <laughs> kitchen and a library. And uh, it's a more interesting story with the chicken. <laughs> yeah. Right. Well, there's a, uh, right beneath it, there's, um, a dog grooming business and so dogs are constantly barking while you're reading your stories. And I went into the kitchen to get some water and Chuck came in and we chatted for a few minutes just about stuff. And then he, he came around to the story and he said, if I remember right, you're a musician. I said, yeah, yeah. And he said, like, what, what is it that you like to play? And I was like, man, I'm, I'm all about rock and roll, like Beatles, Stones, Oasis, Zeppelin, I, I love rock and roll. And he goes, I would love to see some more rock and roll in your writing. And what he meant was not music, of course, but more yeah. energy, more rhythm mm -hmm. because of the piece that I brought in was very proper and very, um, the that way that raw as he'd like to see it. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, that really stuck with me. Mm-hmm. And that seems maybe insignificant, but it meant a lot to me in terms of, okay, the way that I'm writing is the way that I've been told to write since the time I was a kid. Here's how you sentence a, here's how you structure a sentence. Here's how you tell a story. Here's our, here are books that you have to read because they're classics mm -hmm. and you find them, you know, a chore to get through. And the stuff that you're drawn through is what a little bit more dangerous, a little bit more energetic, like it breaks rules that you've been taught. And so that, that is something that I've been trying to do ever since is to put a little bit more rock and roll into the writing. And again, like it sounds silly, but in, in terms of there are certain times I'll write a sentence and think that's a sentence I think I'm supposed to write, mm -hmm. like delete. What's the how do you say it? Let's get some energy. Let's keep this sentence moving. Let's gather some momentum from this sentence to the next and create a paragraph that actually has some, some explosiveness to it, you know, that moves the story along that has an engine. And that's really genuinely stuck with me. And he was always, always pushing us all to, to move beyond the place where we're like, Hey, I have a good idea. Mm-hmm. And he would ask sometimes, was this your first idea or your second idea? Like, uh, you know, second. Like, let, uh, bring this back when it's your, it's your 11th idea. Meaning like you're, you're on something, but you settled too early. Mm. On, this is good, but it's not yet what will be something memorable. 
you know, and you, and you guys all know that feeling when someone messages you or sends you an email and says, I've been thinking about something of yours I read and I read it a month ago, you know, yeah, and it's, yeah. it's still there. Like that's, that's the place you're constantly wanting to get to where somebody doesn't oh, just sure. finish the story and go, yeah, it was good. Yeah. yeah. I don't finish- get those messages about my writing as much as my only fans, but I know what you mean. <laughs> Man, right, as long man. as you're getting the messages. Yeah. <laughs> That's right, where I well, make real money. In, in no. closing, what, what, is there something that you want to say, Jason? No, no. About, no. about baseball? or? <laughs> no, I think I'm, I'm baseballed out. <laughs> okay. All right. So next one. All right. Seventh inning, I guess. Okay. So um, I, I don't want to, I don't like to, unless you really want to, Jason, I don't like doing the where can people find you. We've got a link that we put in there. I don't know. It's been driving me crazy lately because. Does anybody really grab a pen and paper and write, you know, and don't have Google and they've got to know all the, you know what I'm saying? Right. So saying, right. It feels like a waste of time. Notes. Yeah. Look at the show notes. If you want to know how to, how to, how to find Tyler and uh, go to Twitter, if you can look for him on there and, and if we don't have the link or if he doesn't have the link on his website or whatever, but yeah, it just feels like a, it almost feels like a waste of time. Understood. <laughs> <laughs> unless, unless you know, like it's tradition, and it's like, do we really need this? I mean, yeah. I got the link in the show notes right there, and 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 if you want to find Tyler, you're gonna find him. Right, he pops right. up right away. Tyler Jones, author. Don't because other athletes or something come up if you don't type in author. So make sure you type please, in author. Please tell me it's a baseball player. I can't remember, <laughs> but that would be funny. That, that, would, that be. would be funny. I can't remember, but yeah, the link will be in the show notes for sure. So, and please, um, I have read Criterium, I've read uh, Dark Side of the Room, and I've read and blurbed uh, Burn the Plans. Yeah. And yeah. I recommend all three of them. I have not read Almost Ruth, but I recommend that too, because I'm sure it's, <laughs> it kicks butt. So, well, thank you, Chad. I appreciate it. <clears throat> yeah, thanks for hanging out with us. And um, uh, My pleasure. I have a, another question, but I will, I'll probably just send you a message and ask it. Yeah, um, Sure. Um, because it's it's more of a personal thing, it's something that I was it has to do with books. Mm-hmm. Your enter softly thing it was an idea that I had, and I wanted to see what your how that was going and why you decided to do that. So I'll just send you a message or something. Yeah, yeah, please do, that. please do. Thanks so much for coming on, man. It's been great. Yeah, it was wonderful to meet you, Jason. Thank you, guys. I'm dressing down next time. Okay, I was gonna say I have <laughs> no idea what to up. say at the end, so <laughs> we'll just stop it here. <laughs>